0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, theory.
0: theory. Welcome to High Theory.
1: In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams
0: and I'm Sharonik Bershu.
1: We are two
0: tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Welcome to High Theory. I'm Sharonik and today we are talking with Olivia Stowell about reality TV. Olivia, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Of course. Hi, everyone. My name is Olivia Stowell. I'm a PhD student at the University of Michigan in the Department of Communication and Media, where I study reality television specifically, also television more generally. And I'm particularly interested in questions surrounding identity, race and ethnicity, and also genre and narrative.
0: And Olivia recently edited a brilliant cluster of essays for the post Spotify journal on dark academia.
1: Which is how we met.
0: Which is how we met. So let's just jump on right ahead. I'm sure everybody, the nation wants to know, what the
1: heck is reality TV? Yes, you know, everyone is itching to hear the answer to the question. And I think that the question, what is reality TV, sounds really obvious. Like it doesn't seem like a real question almost. But when you think about it, Reality television is shockingly difficult to define in any kind of coherent way. So when you think about the kinds of programs that get lumped under this umbrella, they are so diverse in tone and content and formal structure. Like when you think about the range of like something like The Apprentice as compared to something like The Real World as compared to like 90 Day Fiance or below deck or, you know, what not to wear, you have such a range of things that are imagined to be included that it actually is kind of an area of scholarly debate, like what the definition of reality television is. But I would say that reality television is television content that involves ordinary people in semi-contrived situations that... Fuses the commercial and entertainment together within the television form.
0: But I guess, like, we can also qualify all of these terms because, let's say, the Kardashians are not ordinary.
1: Yes, exactly. So that's when it gets, like, sort of messy, is then you have, like, celebrities involved. The reason why I said ordinary people is because I prefer that to, like, real people because I I think implying that actors aren't real people is sort of silly. Right. But I think that what the phrase ordinary people is meant to capture there. Is some sense of even when it involves celebrities, like a sense of the quotidian life of these people, or the sense of like the ordinary rhythms of their lives in something like the Kardashians, even though the Kardashians is so removed from the reality of the everyday viewer.
0: Yes. Yes, they are. You know, before we move on, could you give us a very brief like overview or like a history of reality in the US and how did we arrive at this Kardashian moment, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, this kind of zeitgeisty thing that, you know, everybody knows what it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way to think about it. Because even the genesis of the genre, if you can even call it a genre, is sort of messy. Like, in the scholarship, you'll find people placing the origin point of reality television at something like Candid Camera, which comes out in like the late 40s, early 50s, and other sorts of programs like that. On the other hand, a real kind of like watershed moment for the genre happens in the 70s with An American Family, which was a PBS documentary about like a particular family's life. But both of those things are pretty removed from what we would think about with the genre today. And another touch point prior to the era of reality TV today would be in the 80s with Cops and America's Most Wanted, where you have television that's about the police, essentially, and like the everyday workings of the police, which obviously there's a lot of issues and problems with that. So those, I would say, are kind of the, the four running moments. You have Candid Camera, which is the invisible camera situation. You have An American Family, which is when this documentary aspect of the form gets really folded in. And then you have things like Cops, where it's sort of like the everyday rhythm of a profession, right? And I think that all of that coalesces in what I would consider to be the like genealogical point for reality television today, which would be the real world in the 90s, which I don't know if you've watched the real world, but it's a time. But the real world was sort of this moment where reality television becomes like it explicitly engages social issues. There's the sense of the kind of trashy drama, which was maybe missing from the earlier iterations of the form. Right, And then you have kind of the explosion in 1999 with Big Brother and 2000 with Survivor of the reality like competition or social experiment form. And I think that that is the real sort of, I guess like the, the, the ground upon which contemporary reality television rests would be, I would say, on like the real world Big Brother and Survivor, because all of those forms are very much about the semi-contrived social micro dramas that occur when you have a collection of often young, attractive American people, usually, although not always, from various walks of life, various backgrounds, together in this artificial situation that is designed to create drama for them.
0: How do we use reality TV?
1: I think there's an interesting question there of like, who is we? Like, is we their academics? Is we the general audience? But I think when I think about reality TV as someone who is both someone who enjoys watching reality TV, but also someone who is professionally invested in understanding what's going on with reality TV, I think there's, on the one hand, the obvious use, which is, the use of entertainment or the use of distraction or the sense of enjoyment or pleasure in some way. And I think that that form of engagement with reality TV is a totally valid form. Like, we continue to watch things like Love is Blind or The Kardashians or whatever because it fulfills some kind of socio-historically situated desire for that kind of content, right? And I don't think it's inherently bad to approach reality TV from the vector of enjoyment as one of its primary uses. But also as a scholar, I feel like reality television in some ways is a text that or like a cultural form maybe that allows us inroads and possibilities for thinking about so many other things like reality TV indexes so many aspects of contemporary life. It almost always indexes a sense of living under surveillance. It almost always depicts life under like neoliberal ideology formations. It engages with you know the idea of the American dream or the possibility for you to make yourself over and become successful or the possibility of the ordinary person to enter the field of celebrity. All of these things like reality television, I think, offers the coalescence point by which to think about the ways that all of these things are interrelated in our everyday lives, the interrelations of ideology, economics, surveillance, personal interactions, social groups, social dynamics. It gets at all of those things. And I think that that actually is part of the pleasure of it, too, whether or not that pleasure is explicitly felt by the viewer or more submerged, I think part of the pleasure of what the form offers is something like a depiction of something adjacent to the real, but in a way that feels low stakes or that feels pleasure driven. And I think that there's this quote by the scholar June Deary, where she talks about how one of the primary claims to realism that reality TV offers is that it offers a depiction of the entanglement of the commercial with everyday life and I think that that is a really interesting way that reality television represents and mediates reality that is useful and interesting for both general audiences and for scholars.
0: Let me go back to a, a category that we, you mentioned but we didn't spend a lot of time in it which is trashy. I've gotten the sense that a majority of at least my acquaintances synonymize trashy and reality.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I'm wondering, what do you think about that? And also, you talked about this kind of socio-historical desire that already exists, which reality TV provides the object of. But then I'm wondering, why do we crave trashy?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And so Susan Douglas has a great article about the Jersey Shore for like a deeper dive into this. But one of the things that she talks about is that when we watch trashy reality TV, we are fulfilled as a sense of getting to judge the people that we're watching. Like, you get to pass judgment on their actions and passing judgment in that way because these programs do hail you as the viewer to judge the choices and behavior of the cast. And when you're hailed in this position of judgment, there is a satisfaction of the desire to feel both that you are in some way an authority who is worthy of judging and also a sense of, like, self-vindication that you aren't so trashy right like by judging these people it implies that you're in some way above them and i think that there's this interesting satisfaction there where you might be watching someone like you know kim kardashian or snooki who has way more cultural power than you do as the viewer probably but you feel above them in some way you feel a little bit superior and at the same time, there's also maybe a little bit of identification, too. So it's like you can be close, but not too close. You can identify without feeling implicated. You can judge without having to judge yourself, maybe. And I think that that is part of what's fun about trashiness. And I think there's also an aspect of voyeurism, you know, where it's it's interesting to see people make choices that you would maybe never make. It's interesting to imagine yourself in their position or sort of project yourself into the scenario without having to engage with any of the actuality of the scenario. There's something like affectively charged or sort of electric about seeing someone transgress the boundaries of like socially normal behavior or when things happen that are so outsized in scope. Like any episode of Jersey Shore will give you this. Like most episodes of Real Housewives, like seeing women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, genuinely like throw glasses at each other and things like that is it's wild. And the stakes feel high because you're like, wow, maybe this is kind of contrived, but like, you know, on Real Housewives of Salt Lake, they really did throw stuff at each other. Pierre Dominguez makes this great argument that the affective economy of reality television, specifically programs like Real Housewives, is so crucial to the creating of the ratings economy and therefore profit. So like the affective economy where you feel invested in the highs and lows of these semi-fictional characters that you're watching keeps you watching and therefore keeps the ratings up, increases profit for the network, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of investment is very grounded in like material economic conditions for the production of these shows.
0: Okay, possibly the most ridiculous question <laughs> is how will Reality TV save the world?
1: It won't. That's my position. (laughs) I don't think it will. But I think that there are things that it can do for us that are politically meaningful in multiple ways. So I think that we have these figures of like Joe Rogan and Trump who sort of emerge in the early 2000s. Obviously, Trump is around before that, but become kind of famous in that sphere where I think there's actually a pretty compelling argument that you could probably make that reality TV is bad for our political life together. But on the other hand, the restorative or helpful role that it played during the pandemic, where there's a sense of comfort or connection across space and time or community in a viewing audience that I think those things could lead to valuable ends for making a better world together in some way. And I also think that going back to what I was talking about earlier about how reality television coalesces so many aspects of our lives under late capitalism I think there is almost something valuable in the way that reality television lays bare these kinds of conditions, like the conditions of surveillance, the conditions of the dramas of trying to make yourself an ideal neoliberal subject. These programs make those kinds of tensions very explicit. And I think that there's some ways where that could also then be Palliative, Like it reminds me of that Baudrillard quote where he talks about how like Disneyland exists to make us think that society is real. Yeah, 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 And so I wonder if there's maybe a danger to the line of thinking that I posed where you might be like, well, if reality television is making something like surveillance explicit, does watching reality television then make us feel like we're not being surveyed in our day-to-day lives? Right. So I think there's the possibilities of both there, right? Like it could be the case that reality television is making these contradictions and these tensions felt and real and dramatized and mediated and might call our attention to them. Or on the other hand, it might then also numb or dull us to the way that those same tensions are playing out in the register of our daily lived experiences. So reality television is not going to save the world, but I think it could play a part in some ways that our political consciousness develops.
0: Olivia, thank you so much for coming to High Theory and talking about Reality TV.
1: Thank you for having me. I love talking about it with you. I feel like we could have gone on and on.
0: Yes, absolutely. And thank you for listening to High Theory.
1: If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast picks. Sharnik Bosu and Nathan Kim manage our social media presence.
0: Julia Aria Martins edits our transcripts. Owen Quinn composes our theme music. And Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio.
1: You can also find us at hightheory.net.
0: We hope you have a highly theoretical day.